so welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name's Eric Seepin, and I'm standing, sitting, and running all over the room. Neither. I'm going to cross from Andy Littleton, pastor of Mission Church, and we just finished talking about evangelism. Yeah. Yep. It was uh, it was good. We we weren't sure if we'd read the same article. It turned out we had, yep. th- thankfully. Um, I forgot and, uh, to send you the link. I just assume I, I'm I'm old now. I'm 47. I just think if you and you have no coffee with you or anything, no faith over nothing. Faith over nothing. Or over your steel red pinkish cup is what yeah. this is. Faith over the steel red pink cup. Faith over pink cup. Yes. Well, good morning. I've got Eric here, and he is sleepy. I am sleepy. Sleepy guy. He's uh, currently studying some really cool stuff on the iPhone, drifting off to bed. Yeah, I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah, it's 8.40 in the morning on a Tuesday, and uh, yeah, so it's good to be hanging out. You, um, Eric, I, I've got a little slight bone to pick with you. Okay, on live, on live. Yeah. I, I can always edit, so it's good. Yeah. Well, so, you know, every once in a while I said, you, you, you talked to me about sending you the topics last minute and giving you the thing you have to listen to, you know, the night before. Yeah, if I'd give it, just throw it at you. Yeah, so you, but you, here's what you did. You threw, you referenced podcasts that you did not, you didn't send me links to these. You just said, the Gospel Coalition has done some podcasts on evangelism. You know, they've been around, what, 10 years now? Uh, the, what did I say? Oh, gosh. This is show you how tired. That's not what I was talking about. No, 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 no. That's not what I said to you. It was something like that. Ah, please. Don't, don't. Let's not do that. Let's, let's do something here. Let's anyway, do something. So, so I'm like, what podcasts are we talking about? So I did go listen to a couple podcasts uh, by the Gospel Coalition. It was an article. I said article. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You did say article. And I went and looked at articles. Yeah. Did you read the article on sharing the gospel? It was there, there. There are thousands of them the, on the Gospel Coalition. The, the, their most recent one, right on the front page. I didn't go to their page. I went. Oh, I, I mean, I, I went and read what seemed like a recent article. I don't know if it's the one you read. I have no idea. Uh, anyway, which uh, one did you read? Gospel Coalition has an interesting article on sharing the gospel. That's all you said. Uh-huh. What am I supposed to? They, Are you supposed to go to the front page and see their. So I Google oh. Gospel Coalition evangelism, and who knows? What right, well, you may have studied some interesting things. Though. Yeah, I've studied all <laughs> kinds of things. Apparently, no, I did. I read an article and then a. F- follow-up or a previous one by a, the same guy, potentially? I don't know. I just wanted to talk about sharing the gospel, and it was an interesting concept that this okay. guy presented. Well, but I, I don't well, know. Thanks for sharing the article. I'm so me. sorry. I, for, I obviously I mean, don't. I'm... You're a little salty this morning. This is good. Because, I mean, I just <laughs> feel like I want to bring up that everything I've heard about the village is how you guys are cutting-edge technology. I mean... No, we're you, not cutting-edge technology. You were... I mean, you guys broke ground. We did break ground. But nobody so, cares. Well, like I care now about okay. it because I I want I just want you to send me a link, man. Just send a me a link, just so I know which article you're talking about. Right, right, right. right. Okay. I just thought you know anybody would just go. You see, Gospel Coalition. Well, you just go to their their website and there it is, sharing the gospel. So, yeah. Okay. I, I'm I'm sorry. I I totally messed that up. But hey, I've just been messing things up all the time, so it doesn't really matter anymore. <laughs> just oh, pastoral pity party. <laughs> well, yeah, hey, you know, I am a flawed. I've never, I've never done that before. I am a flawed human being. Yeah, we know. That's okay. And everybody else has to suffer. Yeah. Due to me. Yeah. And you lead them. <laughs> I do. Which is concerning. But, you know, but they're flawed too and it all works. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. Anyway, anyway hey, good morning. What Eric. did you learn about evangelism? I don't know. I, okay. Here, why don't you tell me what article you read and see if well, we're even in the same? Well, uh, I read an article about the kind of the idea was that sharing the gospel was not really what the Bible was talking about. Okay, we did read the same the yeah. sharing the gospel phrase. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of that? Oh, well, okay, let's let's recap real quick. Yeah, give it a recap, and then we can. You're good at that. You're more concise than I am. So why don't you go for the recap and then we can talk about it. Okay. So there's a book that's come out about sharing – well, <laughs> using the wrong uh, phrase already – about evangelism in our current day mm-hmm. or culture. Culture. And it's written by the, – there's a book that this was an excerpt from. The author spent time in another uh, – country. Oh, no, you're turning knobs. It's okay. This is, oh, no, everything's going to break again. Yeah, I just... Okay, okay anyway. Um, so he has this cross-cultural evangelism background, it sounds like, right, right. and now he's applying some of what he learned there, and he's writing to us about our culture because it's post-Christian. So that's the book. This article zeroed in on a point where he mentioned uh, a leader in another nation who was protecting his people from the phrase sharing the gospel because it was an extra-biblical phrase that he thought undermined what the Bible taught us to do with the gospel, not just passively kind of sharing it here and there, and maybe somebody would pick up on it, hopefully, you know, that, that sort of thing. Which is interesting because I, I read it and I went – I know in our in our church we're much more into the more passive approaches, hoping somebody asks, I think. Right. Truthfully. Um, so I read it as a bit of a critique of what we do. Yes. And – but I, I will say I, I thought it was a fair one. Yeah. Anyway, how about you? Well, I, I thought one of his main points in the article – it, and it's a true one. I've done enough study on the word um, gospel, evangelion or evangelion. Uh, evangelion. However you want to say it. That's how I want to say it. You can say it any way you want. Um, and it is a declaration. It's a proclamation. Yeah. It's it's something that's used uh, extra biblically or outside of the Bible to talk about. Um, Heralds of news, right? Yes, yeah, sort or of Roman victories. Mm-hmm. So the, the the gospel of Caesar is the is the victories of Caesar. His whole narrative of victory, and so it's a declaration. So right. it's not, and I think that was kind of part of the article. It's critique is that we're called to declare, right? Not share. I think that's not not kind of the passive. It's a more active and more proclaiming kind yeah. of thing. And I don't I don't know that he was calling into question every person who would use the phrase. No, I think he was saying that this the passive language reflects a passive approach. approach yes, that we tend to lean toward these days. Right, and so I, I think in particular for both of our churches, um, we would. Uh, believe that somehow, we, and we talk. Probably, I don't know if you talk about this, but we, you know, you talk about you belong before you believe, kind of thing. That people have to kind of get. There's a lot of cultural barriers that people have to process through that that you know 
our previous brothers and sisters in Christ have kind of put up in their yeah. modernistic style of presenting the gospel, using apologetics as more of a weapon than a mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And so we feel burdened by those as the children of... And so we want to be really careful with people. Yeah, which mm-hmm. leads us to maybe some passivity in the way that we approach it. Yeah. Or ang- anxiousness about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, we certainly are not part of the culture where we're going to go door to door sharing the gospel. Like the Jehovah Witnesses that right. I just ran in, who came on Saturday to, you know, talk to me about yeah. the gospel. And they wanted, they opened up the Bible and they wanted to read passages to me. And But none of them have ever shared a gospel with no, me. No. They've but, shared but they are a making, vision of morality with me. Yes. But they are making a proclamation. They yeah, they they were definitely making at least yeah. when they came to my door. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily. I've I've always felt like the uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses in my experience come in with if if you tell them you're a Christian, they're they're kind of trying to say to you, so are we? We're the same deal, mm-hmm. except you know you really should read our stuff here. And then they paint a picture of beautiful moralism mm-hmm. that they're inviting you to, right? But I've never felt. I've never once experienced a Jehovah's Witness who came to my door and said, you need a crucified Savior to cover your sin. Now, they don't quite believe that either, but they've never – there's never been a concrete, specific declaration. It's always very backdoor, even though they come to the front door. They do come to the front door, which in itself is a declaration. They're acting as a form of a herald, which even we – I mean, my church would at least – I'll speak for them – be very uncomfortable if yes. I if the elders came forward and said we are instituting a new evangelism program, which is going to be if you're a member of a church, you're going to take Rod's Lenten devotional and, and go door uh, to door and right? point things out in it. Yes, and, yeah, and hand it out and pray with people and talk to them and uh, the learning to love the master handbook. Right, we're going to do this every Saturday. In the books of Larry Crabb. Yeah, right. And every single in our gospel pilgrim group that we've written. Yeah. yeah. We'll make a real gospel proclamation right and here. There's, all of our art's going to be inside of it. It's going to be amazing. And right. Gonna, and we're going to play Seattle grunge We're just going to play our music. Okay. We don't play Seattle grunge. Tucson grunge. No, it's probably more just jam band folk than anything. But I like that. Do you have a jam van? Yeah, they're relatively jammy if you can get them all together in one place. Yeah, cool. So, jammies. Jammies. Wear jammies. Um, They they would like to if they were allowed to. They'd wear jammies. Cool. So yeah, your people would be very uncomfortable with that, right? And I suspect so would yours. Yes. You know. Absolutely. So they're not. The article's not taught. He does. He hints at, and I think the book gets at. Deeply relational conversations. Yes. He's yeah. not suggesting that, like the door to door person. Right. No. But he is suggesting actual clear declarations, probably in different types of contexts, right. of the specifics of the gospel. Right. Well, something, I guess the reason I want to talk about it in the article kind of struck something with me is that all my life I have sensed an urgency. In the New Testament. Yeah. You sense an urgency yeah. in Paul and yeah. Peter. There's an urgency to bring the gospel. And and and, and like, you know, in Thessalonians, which he yeah. quoted in the article, which I love, about just the gospel and we didn't, you know, fail to share all of ourselves with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is, that is 
crazy cool. And yet when we step into the modern world, like we lose a little bit of that urgency, mm-hmm. um, a lot of that urgency. Mm-hmm. And personally, yeah. I think sometimes corporately I see it happen in different churches where there's, depending on the gifting of the leadership, there's maybe an urgency that... And people and leaders will drum up for things like events yeah, and event, to get people yeah. to... And, and people will respond to that. There's going to be an event. It's going to be evangelistic. We need right. you all out here. Right. And people will go. Right. But then nine to five, day in, no. day out, looks no. often it, different. It does. Not always. Di- but but often. often, yeah. yeah. And and, and I, I would say as a whole it's different. But you can find people who live out that urgency within yes. communities. Yes. I can, I'm can. i thinking of people I've known right. throughout the years where I went, you know, they had it. They right. did. Right. And, they, and it was – and it was good. It wasn't annoying. Right. And then I can think of people who you go, I wish you would turn that urgency in toward your personal sin right, and yeah. look at how big of a jerk you are. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen in the missional church movement, which I, I have been part of, um, and know people who are high up in it, like, and they have an urgency. And the, what when they're developing missional communities and the way they develop you know, communities built around mission that that uh, separate. You know, what do you call it? They're they're destined to split and grow yeah. and engage their neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and those work from varying success depending on the makeup. But they're definitely training people to be yeah. always on mission and always about discipleship. But discipleship being moving from unbelief to belief in all the different areas of your life. Right. And that, you know, that's a big quote that they use all the time is move from unbelief to belief in your marriage, move unbelief to belief. Right. And yeah. So you're, you're looking at, and they're doing that in their workplace. You're always discipling everybody. That's kind of their view. And, and it's attractive to me, but at the same time, it's super intense and seems like it requires a lot of energy all the time. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just want to like, maybe we could, I guess I was like, I want to talk about this publicly. I want to talk about what does evangelism look like? Yeah. How do you do this in our culture? What What is actually Paul and Jesus inviting us into? Like, how is Paul kind mm-hmm. of making, what do we need, what can we learn from him? That kind of thing. It's interesting because our next groundwork, uh, which is our our basics of the faith thing, is on this topic. Interestingly enough. Yeah, so, there you go. So, so you should be an expert already good. on it. Well, it's in like a week and a oh, half. Oh, so you got a week and a half to figure out what you yeah. do. Okay, good. <laughs> no, that's, I've been thinking about it. But yeah, it's been on my mind because of that. And um, yeah, I just have different experiences. What when, when evangelism – if I were to say, Eric, when you – if you've tried evangelism throughout your life, give me the the different ways you've – tried like what's that looked like for you in different eras where okay. how have you moved you know throughout your life uh well i mean as a younger kid i apparently i don't have a lot of memories of these things but apparently my mom would routinely look out the window and i would be praying over people okay so apparently i i brought my spirituality yeah. as a young kid pretty pretty it just was there um I think probably in high school, well, later in college, I, I, it was more of a modernistic apologetics of where I got in a lot of arguments with, mm. with authorities, like with teachers, mm. with, you know, all my humanities teachers. So there was kind of that, that had no fruit. But in high school, I led my best friend to Christ and that was just 
hanging out with him and mm-hmm. bringing him to youth group when he wanted to come. And honestly, I, I mean, I would say I was the catalyst for him coming to Christ. He was stubborn, so he left to go to the military. Then became a Christian and wrote me a letter to say he yeah. did. So, but, so that was the kind of that experience. I mean, as a pastor, I've done crazy things like you know go to an apartment complex and we you know set up a PA system and preach on the Song of Solomon in the public square. I did that. Yeah. And people would just wander by and you're talking about sex and all of a sudden everybody will want to listen to you. Yeah. And people from that neighborhood came to our church for a while, but nobody came to Christ. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been, you know, I mean, as a pastor over 20 years, I've been involved in a lot of people's transformation. Yeah. To Christ. And a lot of that has either been work from my wife, who's just naturally an evangelist. Um, but it's all been relational. Yeah. Like people coming into my home, yeah. walking with them because you bumped into them. Right. But I think the thing that I find the most effective and God just starts doing stuff and it's usually not for the people you're praying for is that I have an active list and I will revise mm-hmm. that. Or, and I just pray for people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. And usually nobody on that my list comes to Jesus. But all of a sudden when I'm praying, other people Somebody else <laughs> other people start coming into my life who need huh. Jesus and, and and they end up becoming Christians. That's kind of been the pattern. And I see that in our church. That is our evangelistic mode, is like once a year we get together and we work out a list of ten. Hmm. You know, it's about, you know, 50 people will come together. And so that's 50 times 10. So you're talking about 500 people we're praying for. Yeah. And then people start coming to Christ. You can see it. And usually, sometimes it's the people on the list, but usually out of those 500 people we're praying for, none of the people on that list are the ones who've entered in. But it seems like God says, okay, you're oh. ready for that. You know, you, you're you're posturing yourself in a way that, you know. I, I, I actually really like... I like that. That I mean, it just makes a lot of sense to be actively praying for people, um, yeah, and just entrusting it to God from there. But yeah. I know the other thing is, like in church, like you, I don't think we do this well at the village, and I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do it better. Is locating the people who actually have the gift of evangelism celebrating them and supporting them with prayer and mm. like, Hey, like, what do you need? How can we, how can those of us who are good at shepherding come alongside you? Who are the people you're engaging with? How do we pray for them? Like, I, I think it's important to lift that gift up, not in a, Hey, all of us need to do evangelism and we're going to learn from this guy who has the gift of evangelism, but Oh, you have the gift of evangelism. All of us need to come around you and support you and engage with you and the people that you're reaching out with and to. Yeah. Um, and and celebrate that gift. And we can learn things from you on how to do it, but you're the one who has the gift and it's going to have an impact. Yeah. You're not, you're a natural at it. So how do we support you instead of leaving you out here all by yourself? Yeah. So I, w- I want to do that better. But. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. For me, I, I had this, this critical time when I was 17 and things clicked. I'd heard the gospel. I heard a very simple explanation of it again, but in a context that it made sense to me. And I think God was at work. So after that, I became pretty, 
pretty passionate about telling people about just the bare, simple Jesus died for your sin stuff. Cause really that is what clicked and made the difference for me. So I, and some, some other friends would, you know, we would just go out. We'd be like, let's go somewhere. But it had some pretty, pretty interesting experience. I shared one at my church where it was in South Tucson with a couple of friends and we were just going to look for people to tell about Jesus. And we went into this circle K and this guy was on his way out as we were on our way in. He had all these beers and he was clearly intoxicated. And I'm just, I'm in this place. I was like, Hey man, you know, what's going on? What are you doing tonight? And he's like, Oh, just going to go home, drink these. And I just said, you know, man, you don't have to live like this. Jesus, Jesus died, um, to give you hope and take away your sins. So you don't, you don't need all this beer. And you could just pour it out right now and trust in him. And, and he poured all his beer in the trash. He opened them up and dumped them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then he just left. <laughs> and, he, and we prayed with him. And, and he's like, thanks, guys. And left. You know, and I thought later on I went, well, he was also drunk, so who knows, you know. But, but he didn't get drunker. <laughs> he didn't get drunker that night. And who knows? Who knows? But it was uh, it was an interesting time. I, I also – I remember we were just at a park – uh, this is, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of Southwest Tucson. We just went to this park and just walking around again. We're like, Hey, Hey, we're just out here talking about Jesus. You know, what, what are you guys doing tonight? This one kid was like, I don't know if God exists. I was like, why not? And he's like, man, these bad things happen and it's frustrating. And I was like, what, like what? And he said, well, man, the other day my, my hood of my car flew up and broke my windshield. And I said, did you close your hood though? Like before you left? He goes, No. I go, dude, God's not going to close your hood. And he just was like, oh, F, I never thought of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we, I would just – Apologist and A couple of friends and I, we just go out and have these conversations with people. And part of it seemed just silly. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, in a way, I, I almost think around that period was – it was the pure, simple version of – you know, I – I wasn't afraid of what people are going to say or think. Right. Also, wasn't being a jerk. We just we offered it if somebody didn't want to talk, it was fine. Um, I think it's easier to do that with strangers than people you know and love. So, right. if if there were a movement on that, I would say it should be. I should have that kind of openness with people I know and love, without being abrasive. Right. Um, then from there, I, because I was excited about that, there was evangelism classes happening up at one of the churches where I ended up working. And so I got into that for the longest time. And so you would say things like, do you know where you can go when you die? Yep. 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 And I I almost think, I think something was added there and something was lost. Hmm. The thing that was added was that I kind of thought through some of the, I don't think I talked about grace enough Hmm. before. I think it was just, I don't think I explained what it meant that Jesus died for your sins. I just said it. So that evangelism training taught me to work out some of those things, but it turned me into, and I always fought against the formulaic stuff, but when we would have to go out and do that, Mm -hmm. it it was formulaic. And every once in a while I did, I really believe some people came to know Jesus though. So part of me goes, look, you know, I wish it hadn't been formulaic or canned, but for goodness sakes, at least we tried and some people some people responded. But then again, the amount of people who were probably thrown off by that maybe it wasn't worth it. I don't know, you know? Um I so I have I have my 
I'm torn on on that period. Sure. And then from there, I actually that evangelism ministry started to teach a more relational model that I was interested in that gave you some of that backbone stuff, but said, don't give it like a speech. Right. Just be prepared with some of these ideas that if you were to unpack grace, you might unpack it like this. Right. If you were to unpack, you know, the idea of sin and learning to know, hear a person's story and understand which element you might really want to talk about. So I went along with that layer of that ministry, which I thought was was a helpful, at least, thing for them to be processing right. in me. And then and then I went to more of the highly relational path. But I also think I stopped sharing specifics of the gospel very much mm-hmm. for a while. And I'm lately I'm I'm feeling convinced that I want to share the specifics and be a little more bold with sure. that, but also in the context of people I really love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and I know. like, and I, I do, I mean, I like the relational model and it, it lines up a lot with the missional model where there's a lot of talk about what it means to tend to the presence of God in yeah. space. And so a lot of times you're, you, you are, instead of talking about the particular actions of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, you're you're pointing out where Jesus is showing up in people's lives. So when somebody does an act of kindness, you say th- you you are kind of trying to say things like, "Wow, like you are actually acting like Jesus in yeah. this moment. Like that was the coolest thing I've ever seen." Yeah. And people are like, "Well, what do you mean?" Well, like, and then yeah. you can offer the gospel in a way like where you're saying, "Well, Jesus has already showed up in your life because you're modeling it." Right. So, and I'm learning about Jesus from you, and then. That, that produces a conversation in a more relational mode. And it makes a lot of – I mean, if you really do have that thought – I mean, if you're going out and you're like, where can I possibly find a way to talk about Jesus? It could be kind of forced. Right. But if you actually have that thought – this is kind of what I've said to our church and probably will say more and groundwork – is when you have a meaningful spiritual thought, why not just talk openly about that? Right. Or when you – when you're kind of having that inner dialogue in yourself where you go, Jesus, you know, thank you for your forgiveness. Like, otherwise I couldn't move through the mistakes I've made. Be open with some people about that who aren't Christians. Of right. How that's, how you're trying, how you're working through that. Right. And see what conversations ensue. And then if they ask you and, or, or if, or if it becomes clear, they go, what, what does it like? What, what does, what does this mean? Hmm. Great. Then declare, you know, right. then s- speak clearly. Right. Well, I think, I think a lot of that too. I think the thing that maybe, and I, and I can only speak for the village and from my own experience, but I suspect that some of it's true at mission church is that maybe we have left behind strategic positioning the urgency yeah. for strategic yeah. positioning, meaning am I strategically positioning myself in people who don't know Jesus's lives so that when Jesus shows up, I can be the voice, right. I can speak his words of truth. And kind of Paul's encouragement to Timothy to be ready yes. um, for, for such things, right. to, not just to be there, but to have an answer, to right. share about your hope. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a big part of it. Um, yeah, and I, I think we have to um, 
I mean, it's part of discipleship as a leader of a church is to, to continually revisit how am I, how is my community strategically positioning itself in the lives of people who don't know Jesus so we can be that that voice for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think one of the hard parts, I was preaching recently and we were going through the prophet, priest, and king, the offices yeah. of Christ, and I was talking about how um, as a priest, as we, you know, as Jesus is a priest, we're priests, yeah. Jesus is priestly, his church is priestly. Um, and part of that, the first idea in that is that there is an inward looking. Like if you look at how Jesus talks to the priests themselves, yeah. that there's, yeah. you have to internally look, I mean, you have to look in at your own darkness and deal yeah. with it. But at the same time, I think sometimes we get stuck in that yeah. and forget that that's just the first step of being a priest. Yeah. And you also have a calling. Right. Yeah. And we forget that part. And I, I think, sure. yeah. you know, the... We have to be continually reminded. No, no, no. It's it's. We need. There are our neighbors. The guy who you know checks out stuff for yeah. us at the store. They need. Jesus is showing up in their life. We just have to watch for it and and then be willing to speak like with some intentional. Yeah, and our brokenness doesn't disqualify us from pointing to Jesus. In fact, it actually enables it. Right. Right. It's because kind of Paul's stuff. We're not. We have a treasure in a like a clay jar. It's, the power isn't from us; it's from God. Right. And so, I mean, what he's saying is, your you do need to understand that you're a clay jar. You need to understand you're you're flawed. You're not you're not the great hope that that's being offered here. Right. But at the same time, you need to be understand that God has bestowed upon you an amazing value and has given you his spirit and has given you his message and is and you can share it and it's just as beautiful even though you're just you know you're a mixed bag you're, you're, yeah yeah no. we've established that <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah well i think the other thing about the gospel that i think we forget is that it is it has power just by its proclaiming yeah. And so even when you go and say, hey, man, as, as, Dan, as Andy, hey, man, um, I think <laughs> this is my best invitation to be when you're being uh, goofy. <laughs> hey, man, I think uh, I think you should pour out that beer and hear about <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but but that has a power. It's not because you were, like, really awesome in the way no. you said stuff. It was because you spoke up, and God honors the speaking up. Yeah, And so – I know you said, well, man, I, I think, you know, we may have turned off a number of people and was it worth it? Well, the answer is yes and no. It right. was worth it because maybe some people were delivered into the kingdom of God and their lives were transformed. And no. the truth is there's never been a period of time when the Christian message didn't not stick right. with people, right? And that right. doesn't make it any less right. Great. And the no might be, yeah, uh, evangelism explosion, so we'll just name it, like yeah. is a, a modernistic form of yeah. – and, and doesn't – it, it was a, it was once effective and it was effective right but it isn't now yeah, yeah. and and that's fine yeah you know and that's that's the way things God is in control again it's not you right and I think that's the powerful thing about just being able to speak up yeah. is that you can be a fool and if you're a fool guess what you're a fool for Christ and Christ loves you and that's the only thing that matters yeah so you can walk away from those things and be like ah oh, okay well 
Jesus, think, you're going to have to fix whatever I said, you know, like that. Yeah. And there's also something to understanding the different contexts of evangelism explosion, which is what I, I taught. And I did some travel. And interestingly, in Romania, which was post-communist and had this backbone of an Orthodox church that didn't preach the gospel, but right. but did uh, root people in scripture and, and the history of the church. Evangelism explosion, that simple little outline, actually was incredibly effective there because people put the puzzle pieces together and heard about grace for the first time. They presupposed the Bible and the transcendent God stuff, and so they didn't need that groundwork laid generally, at least when we were there. Right. And it was it was surprising how – and people wanted to talk about it because the open speaking about different points of view had been shut down for so many years. Right. So when someone went out and said, I want to talk to you about God, they went, awesome, let's do it. You know, um, we, we did a similar training in Australia, which was maybe just ahead of the bell curve that America's on right now. Right. And generally everybody was just like – they loved to talk, but there was – you know, it was just like – Oh, that's interesting, mate. You know, <laughs> yeah. No worries. Um, and then this is the uh, yeah. The, that's terrible. The, so that please, was no Australian listeners this time. <laughs> but uh, but then on that trip, there was a Bible study of international students, and we went and shared some of this basic outline stuff. Well, some of these international students were hearing about Christianity for the first time within the, the last couple of weeks, and they had these these Bible study leaders and and we shared uh shared just kind of this little outline gospel thing with a yeah, there's a Japanese student and you could tell I mean I have no doubt in my mind that a light bulb went on for him. He just it was he just was clear as day like, oh, that's what it means. And then there was even this cool thing where they had given us these Bibles that were the surfer's Bibles. And I'd kind of rolled my eyes. Oh, my gosh. The yeah. surfer's Bible. The surfer Bible. You know, and it just had stories of surfers who were Christians. Right. right? Well, and, this, and this Japanese kid opens it up and he goes, what? And I said, what? Well, what's going on? He goes, he turned to the – just open, flipped it open and there's a picture of his favorite surfer. Oh, goodness. And he goes – He's been my favorite surfer my whole life. And I was like, did you know he's a Christian? He's like, no. And he's like, oh, I'm going to read about him, you know? Uh-huh. And you just – I went, wow, how cool. And had this real sense that I didn't manufacture this right. this this outline that I kind of – I was at that point, I was almost done. I was like rolling my eyes at it all a little bit. And then you go, yeah, there were tr- there's truth in there. Yeah. And it was helpful to this guy. Right. Um. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, God's like humans are are so diverse in the way they reflect God, yes. and He is so willing to use about anything yep. that they'll offer for you know up. And He's like, sure, that's what we got. That's what we're working with. Okay. Well, and and interestingly enough, some of that the evangelism explosion outline stuff is sort of stuck in my head. Sure. And not too long ago, I was talking to somebody who had a Catholic background, and you got the sense that they were burdened by guilt. Right believed the scriptures, the transcendent God stuff was there. And I actually walked him right through that old stuff I hadn't shared with anybody in a while. And they really were following, you know, and it wasn't like the moment 
but they go, oh, okay, like that's so that's the message, okay, and they and they I think they thought it was helpful. So, who knows? Yeah, you know it. But but then you have to understand other people who don't have that what Tim Keller calls the furniture. You mm-hmm. know, you got to build the furniture. You got to build the furniture. You know, when somebody doesn't have when the idea of a transcendent God is highly debatable to them, and an authoritative Bible is like the idea is just silliness. Right. You can't just quote them a Bible verse and say, "See, God says the the gift of God is eternal life." So that's what you know. Grace is a gift, and see, God says so. And right. They're going, God, you're quoting from. What? Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't just start there. Well, and I, I mean, when we first started the village, the idea that was really popular and, and what we kind of latched on to um, was that people, there's this plurality of belief and there's a plurality of lifestyle now. Yeah. And what was happening and still now happening in an accelerated form, I think, is that people's lives are a mess. Yeah, and they can't find an answer, and they're looking for every single thing to answer except for Jesus. Yeah, and so a community of Jesus can say, "Hey, like we're not going to pour Je- push Jesus down your right. throat, but hey, come and taste and yeah. see what it's like, and, and experience it, and find Jesus, like experience Jesus." And I think like the most dramatic moment in that early on for us was. Uh, at the time, she's now my sister-in-law, but at the time she wasn't. Um, she wasn't a follower of Jesus, and you know, she started coming to the village. She'd been there maybe four or five months, and one day after my sermon, she like raises her hand and says, "Can I say something?" And I'm like, "Okay." You know that yeah. moment in church, where you're yeah. like, <laughs> "This could go really." We got bad. a small church. Yeah. She got okay. She's like, "I, I just want to say like." You guys have been taking communion every week, and you say you're not supposed to take it if you don't believe in Jesus. And so I haven't taken it because I really want to honor all of you. But I just want to let everybody know that today I'm going to take communion because uh-huh. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, you know, like yeah. and she's the first person. Yeah. To, well, she was the second person to come to Christ in the village, and that was like yeah. a moment of oh, like okay. There was a different kind of evangelism than I had yeah. experienced yeah. because nobody was – I mean, we loved her. We cared for her. We kept telling her about Jesus, yep. but not in a yeah. like make a decision. Right. It's just like this is what Jesus yep. is. This is what he offers. You know, yep. this, you have an opportunity to engage that if you want. My other two you know, things that made me think about this recently is I listened to uh, Rosaria Butterfield's conversion story again, which I'd, I'd heard a long time it's a ago. pretty powerful one. It is. and. She's, She's awesome. This yeah. is every Sunday. If you haven't read anything by her, go look her up. Read everything. Read, listen to her speak. She's she's amazing. She's good. And one of the big, you know, she was brought into relationship and commute. Nobody forced her to make decisions. And these people believed she would say enough in the sovereignty of God to think that they didn't have to push her. Right. They could just they could be in her life and ask good questions and see what God did and challenge and, her presuppositions they, about things. Yes, and they did, and they 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 went deep. They they yes. said so. You know, you're making some major assumptions here. Where do you, where do these presuppositions come from for you? Right. And she was smart, and those kind of questions were ones that she enjoyed being asked, and she right. thought about them, and and it took years. Um, and then the other was uh, I listened to, and this judge was just listening to this. So David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, who's he's the conservative on the PBS NewsHour. Mm-hmm. Um, he and he's been. He's always kind of had the conservative value-ish thing going on. Mm-hmm. But he, in his most recent book, apparently, and it just came out, but he's he's talking about faith and suggesting that he 
he he may have become a Christian. Um, and and he was on the Gospel Coalition podcast and said, "I'm still back and forth sometimes. On some days, I think Jesus rose from the dead, and other days, I'm I can't say I'm so sure." But he but he's like he's been pretty taken by the idea of grace. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that throughout his life, he, a lot of people, a lot of people gave, you know, handed him mere Christianity, which was never effective. He said, and uh, but his wife, at one point, just really worked out the distinction between deserving love and being given grace. And she just kind of was like, "You don't, you don't understand this," and that haunted him. And he thought about it. And then there was a family, and he didn't say they were Christians, but it was all in the in the context of this discussion that when he he was he went through a divorce, he went through a really low period a few years ago. Um, so this would be the wife that said you don't understand. It might have been, and I'm not. I don't know if he got remarried. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't connect enough dots. I'd have to look more up on him. I don't. I don't know I enough about him. It's either the wife who who he's now divorced from, or the or they reconciled, or he was remarried. I don't know. But, but yeah, he went through a divorce and was just obsessed with his work and was just dying inside, miserable, lonely. Um, you know, on TV, everybody knew him, lots of money, right? Right. Um, but he, this family that he knew, I think, keyed in on he wasn't doing very well and invited him over for dinner. Well, he, when he came over, he discovered that they invited a lot of people over for dinner, a bunch of students who didn't have anywhere to go. And they were actually letting 15 of them live in their house. Okay. And he showed up and there's 30 people around a big table. You know, and he thought he was just coming over for dinner. And he went to shake a kid's hand and the kid hugged him instead and it made him very uncomfortable. But they all talked openly about their their needs and their hopes and their, you know, everything. And he said, he was like, I was hooked. I just kept going to dinner at their house. I, I just, it was beautiful. And it probably turned out it was the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz. It wasn't. No. <laughs> um, he has a house with like yeah. multiple rooms in there. Yeah. It would have been funny if it was him. But he, David, I mean, David Brooks said that was the thing. Like that was the turning point, um, being invited into these people's lives. Um, so he'd. Mere Christianity had been read many – when you listen to him talk about it, I mean, he he's read, you know, Paul Tillich and Henry Nouwen and Eugene Peterson, like, thoroughly. He, he wasn't for lack of information about right, what right. Christianity meant. He hadn't experienced it. He hadn't experienced it. So, and, and that's a key part yep. of – Yep. Is that incarnational to, yep. uh, community where Christ is yep. present and tended to, I might say, like, aware of and yeah. engaged. Yeah. And then he said it was this. It's been this slow process, and some of it was alone at a lake where he just went and was trying to just working th- some things out. And somewhere in there, kind of got to this. And he and he was in awe of the Sermon on the Mount, generally, and the Book of Matthew. And he has Jewish heritage and something about like the beauty of that moral vision. Um, and then the the stuff with grace, and. He said it's just this slow progression. He's still working it out. But, yeah, those two things just made th- – those sounded like – that sounded true to life. Both Butterfield and him, like the, yes. the slow working – like people in your life who, who are declaring things. And then, yeah, this 
but it takes commitment. It it does. It's not it's not you pop in, you hand up. He, he even said just handing me the book didn't do it. Right. Thanks for the book. Right. But he's like, I believe in books. I write books. Right. But that wasn't that wasn't the the key. Yeah, no, I, totally. And I, I mean, I guess my vision, and I suppose we've probably talked this out enough, but is that, at least for my church, and I suspect that my vision would be that for mission, is that we yeah. are churches that that are, like, from the from every member, from the littlest to yeah. the biggest member, you know, in age and size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that we have this urgency yeah. to incarnate, to be yeah. um, the presence of Jesus. That to not just one another, yeah, but to the world itself, yeah. and how you do that, you do it in a creative way. You do it in yeah. a way that's authentic to you, but you don't not do it, yeah. Like that, it's the thing you do, and I, I would love that to be where our community is at, yeah. And, and I honestly, you know, churches go through cycles who are like this. I mean, you people come into your community who don't know Jesus, they find Jesus, and and then there's a process of discipleship, and so focuses change. As you help people learn the rhythms of following Jesus, but you can't get lost. It has to be kind of a flux in and out. You have to stay in that rhythm and yeah. be excited about that rhythm. Yeah. Uh, and and you you know life transformation. That's what we're about. Yeah. Jesus becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, and seeing the world have an opportunity to embrace that. So. Agreed. Well, I think we've. Uh... I think we've talked the topic through and it's been good. Thanks for hanging out.